1: bauer has a very successful business
2: okay bauer you're ruined you're finished you're a ghost in this
3: business how'd you like some bananas it costs
2: deal
1: he's got the wisdom and support of his brother freddy i love this guy Do you
3: hear me i love him here's no. what's the matter you're too
2: big. Your...
1: i just want to meet a woman i want to meet a woman and i want to fall
3: in love not
1: much. And worst of all, Alan Bauer feels with all his heart that he doesn't have one. Freddy, something in here is not working. There are worse organs not to be working.
3: Virtue in God, Massachusetts.
1: And then, one day, accidentally, from out of the blue, it happened. Just looking at her as pure ecstasy. Just touching her as a lifelong fantasy come true. Just being in love with her plunges him into a wondrous world of rapture and enchantment. Just one problem stands in his way. A little secret she's trying to keep all to herself. There is a mermaid in
2: New
3: York City. How come she's got legs? She has legs out of the water.
1: She has fins in the water.
3: What about a woman showing up naked in a public place, Freddy? Well, I'm bored, of course. Can I come in? No! All right, let me in. I'll, I'll be right there. I'm just changing. That girl is a mermaid. All my life, I've been waiting for someone. And when I find her, she's... She's a fish. Nobody said love's
1: perfect.
3: She's really hungry.
1: Daryl Hannah, Tom Hanks, and John Candy. Splash, a fantastic tale about a fantastic tale.
0: Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Splash from 1984. The studio was Touchstone Films. The release date was March 9, 1984. The running time, 111 minutes, with a rating of PG. The budget was $11 million, and the box office took in $69 million, making it the 10th-ranked movie of 1984. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 90% fresh from 41 reviews. The critics' consensus is a perfectly light, warmly funny romantic comedy that's kept afloat by Ron Howard's unobtrusive direction and charming performances by Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Interestingly enough, Roger Ebert at the time gave it only one and a half out of four stars, and here's his review. There is a funny movie lurking at the edges of Splash, and sometimes it even sneaks on screen and makes us smile. It's too bad the relentless, conventional minds that made this movie couldn't have made the leap from sitcom to comedy. They must have thought they had a great idea. Manhattan Bachelor falls in love with Mermaid, that they couldn't fail. But great ideas are a dime a dozen. Splash tells the story of a young man who is twice saved from drowning by a beautiful young mermaid. She falls in love with him and follows him to Manhattan, where he is a fruit and vegetable wholesaler. He falls in love with her. She can, it appears, turn from a mermaid into a human. She has a tail when she's wet, but it turns into legs when she's dry. There are a lot of jokes about her total ignorance about all the ways of civilization. She walks naked onto Ellis Island, for example, and eats lobsters, shell and all. All right, now that's the situation, but the situation isn't going to be enough. We need some characters here. The mermaid is just fine and played by the lovely Daryl Hannah. She is young and healthy and touchingly naive. But what about the guy who falls in love with her? It's here that the movie makes its catastrophic casting mistake. You see, they figured out that they have a comedy as long as the girl has a tail, and a romance whenever she has legs. So they gave her a romantic leading man when they should have given her a lonely guy who could swim. The leading man is Tom Hanks. He is conventionally handsome and passably appealing, and he would do in a secondary role. He'd be great, for example, as the straight arrow brother. Instead, they make him the mermaid's lover, and they cast John Candy as the brother. You remember Candy from SCTV. He is the large, shambling, Charles Lawton type who has such a natural charisma that he's funny just standing there. They should have made Candy the lover, and Hank's the brother. Then we'd be on the side of this big lunk who suddenly has a mermaid drop into his life and has to explain her to his creepy, swinging singles brother. Plus, there's the sweet touch that this transcendently sexy mermaid has fallen for the tubby loser with the heart of lust and not for his slick brother. See what I mean? Instead, they go the other way. John Candy is not used much in the movie, and Tom Hanks comes across as a standard young male lead, and they have to concoct a meaningless and boring subplot in order to make the movie long enough. Don't they know in Hollywood that once all the geniuses think they've finished with the screenplay, you got to rotate everything 180 degrees and you've got a movie? And that's the end of his review. I'm pretty sure this was the first movie I saw Tom Hanks in, though I definitely watched Booz and Buddies, uh, the reruns, as a kid. Splash was sort of like Mr. Mom in the sense that my parents could enjoy a movie that wasn't made for kids per se, but the kids could still enjoy it just the same. It's kind of the epitome of, you know, a family movie without dumbing it down for the adults. And then four years later, kids everywhere would be going crazy over Disney's animated feature, The Little Mermaid, but really the die was cast with the success of Splash. All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have Tom Hanks, who plays Alan Bauer. And today, you know, Hanks is a living legend for film and Hollywood royalty, and it's much deserved. He's a fabulous actor, and by all accounts, he's also a down to earth and great person as well. Uh, prior to Splash, he was just a young TV actor who had never. You know, appeared in a movie before. Splash would be his first major film break. Prior to Splash, he appeared on the TV series Booz and Buddies, as I mentioned, and he had a reoccurring role on Family Ties as Michael J. Fox's favorite uncle. The same year, Hanks would go on to star in the raucous comedy Bachelor Party. Daryl Hannah plays Madison, and Hannah f- appeared in her first film in 1978, but really her, her major break was in 1982's Blade Runner, playing Pris. She then appeared in a romantic dramedy called Summer Lovers in 1983 before landing her signature role as Madison. Eugene Levy plays Walter Kornbluth, and today we, everyone knows Levy as the lovable dad in American Pie, but prior to the American Pie films, I always knew him as Professor Kornbluth from Splash. Before Splash, Levy was a regular cast member on the comedy skit series SCTV, which was the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live. He was also friends with another SCTV alum, that being John Candy, who plays Freddie Bauer. Candy was a super talented and really funny comedic actor, much like John Belushi and Chris Farley. However, until the mid-80s, he was always a supporting comic actor in movies like you know, The Blues Brothers, Stripes, and National Lampoon's Vacation. But after Splash, he would go on to have more prominent roles in comedies throughout the 80s. The director was Ron Howard, and prior to becoming one of the top directors in Hollywood, Howard actually started as a child actor on the hit TV series The Andy Griffith Show, playing, of course, Opie. He would appear in movies as he got older, like American Graffiti, but he really struck gold with another classic TV series, Happy Days. He decided to get into directing after making a deal with Roger Corman, who was one of the classic low-budget directors and really mentored many future directors in the art of filmmaking and doing it for a low budget. Howard's first directed movie was Grand Theft Auto from 1977, and he continued to make TV movies throughout the 70s. However, it was 1982's Night Shift that really put Howard into the big leagues, and he never looked back. And Night Shift had Henry Winkler, and of course... Michael Keaton. All right, let's get into the making of the film. The original idea of the story came from producer Brian Glazer about what he dreamt as the perfect woman. And the symbol of that perfect woman was a mermaid. People love the idea, but not his original script. So after the success that Ron Howard had with Night Shift, they used the same creative team who wrote that script, which was Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, to work on rewriting Splash. But right as some of the momentum was happening for the development of the film, another Mermaid movie got to the studio's attention, and that was supposed to star Warren Beatty. So Brian Glazer really fought for Splash over this other Mermaid film. So the gang went to Disney to pitch Splash. Now at this point in history, Disney really wasn't a powerhouse like they once were, and then later became again. And again, ironically, the studio really came back, animated-wise, with The Little Mermaid in 1988. However, at the time, they were just looking to get into more films for older audiences instead of just children. So Ron Howard pitched to Disney that they could make this movie cheaper, faster, and better than the other Mermaid film, just like Roger Corman taught him. So from this, from that pitch, Disney gave them the deal. But again, live-action Disney films were kind of a thing of the past, you know, movies like Gus or The Love Bug, and this isn't the type of film that Ron Howard wanted to make, so he was a bit worried that Disney was going to try to re-edit his film or put, like, Daryl Hannah in the bathing suit. So even though the film was going to be PG, Disney was still excited by the notion of a more, you know, mature film that wasn't super adult in theme. Michael Eisner had just taken over as CEO, and he was excited by Splash. So therefore, to avoid any potential conflict with the Disney brand, that's why Touchstone Pictures was created for movies that weren't traditionally Disney-themed in nature. So Splash was the first film for Touchstone Pictures. Michael Keaton and John Travolta were candidates that the producer wanted as the lead role as Alan, but Tom Hanks was still a relatively unknown actor at the time and was being considered for the Freddy role instead of just the lead, just as Ebert wanted in his review and Buddies had been canceled and Hanks did a guest spot on Happy Days and thus developed a relationship with the writers Gantz and Mandel, which of course later helped him get a shot at Splash. Ron Howard absolutely loved Tom Hanks when he auditioned for the role. He really was the character of Alan. Though Howard admitted at the time, nobody was going to see a film due to an unknown being cast in the lead role, but Howard felt that Tom Hanks was the best person for the role, and that's what mattered the most. That being said, almost all the A-listers that the producers wanted had turned down the role, and Hanks said that he was forever grateful for being given this shot at the lead. So now that an unknown is in the lead role, Howard and Grazer felt that they really needed a funny actor in the support role. And that's where John Candy and Eugene Levy came in. Hanks love Candy and Levy, and they got along great. For Madison, as it turned out, Daryl Hannah was obsessed with the Little Mermaid story as a child. And this, of course, translated to the role. Grazer had seen Hannah in Blade Runner and just loved her look and her presence in that film. Howard didn't want the mermaid character to be an object, but kind of a noble character and powerful in her own right. But it also didn't hurt if she was beautiful as well, and Daryl Hannah was all of that. However, the studio didn't want to cast her as Madison, but Grazer decided to make an executive decision himself and hired her anyway. In the first table read, Hanks thought he really had to push to get laughs, just like he did on Booz and Buddies, but it just sort of fell flat for the splash reading. So Ron Howard took him aside and told him that he really didn't have to push the comedy side because that's what John Candy and Eugene Levy were for. For the most part, Hanks pretty much had the straight role. His main focus was to fall in love with Madison and nothing else, and Hanks was perfect after that. Hanks said he was thrilled that he essentially was paid to learn how to scuba dive from this film. The mermaid tail took between five to eight hours to put on for Daryl Hannah and was extremely tight and she couldn't move. It was really uncomfortable for her. There was a scene that was cut out with a sea hag that was sort of the queen of the sea that informed Madison of the rules of being a mermaid and what she could and couldn't do in the outside world. The reason the film works so well is the obvious you know, terrific acting between Hanks and Hannah and the direction in the story from Howard and Grazer. A movie like this could totally come off as force and cheesy if not done correctly. But for me, in the case of Splash, you totally buy into it because you want to. That's the power of well-done films and unfortunately, Ebert didn't see it that way. All right, let's get into the film. I always liked the beginning of the film because as a kid, uh, it started with the classic song Wooly Bully from Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs from 1964. We then go to the exact same year to a cruise line sailing in Cape Cod. Alan, later Tom Hanks, is a kid vacationing with his parents. I always laugh when I was younger, and I still do, at the kid who plays Freddy, which is later John Candy who has the perverted habit of dropping loose change near any woman wearing a dress so that he can act like he's picking up the change, but he only wants to look up their skirt. And of course, he ends up getting caught by his mom. And to show how parenting has changed today, Freddy's mom looks at the father and says, Ralph, talk to him. And instead of saying anything, he just slaps him in the back of the head and sort of gives a, you know, there you go sort of look. Then the mom says, listen to your father. <laughs> By the way, the dad in this scene was played by Bill Smiderevich, who was a great character actor. You might remember him as Corky's dad in the TV series Life Goes On. It's also interesting how this scene was shot, because it's not in black and white per se, but it's sort of in a tinted light brown color. The same was done during the intro of the flashback scene in Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. It might have been the technology limitations of that era. So back to the film, Alan, instead of hanging out with his family, is more fascinated with looking into the water. He thinks he sees something in the ocean, almost like a flashing light. And then, for whatever reason, he inexplicably jumps into the water. While everyone is freaking out that a kid just jumped overboard, Freddy takes the opportunity to look up everyone's dresses. So Alan ends up seeing a girl his own age in the water. They have a brief moment of happiness together before someone from the boat rescues Alan from under the water. We then see the girl pop her head out of the water and she's crying because it's obvious she was looking for someone who could be her friend. She then goes back underwater, and you see her tail as she dives under, which informs everyone that she is, of course, a mermaid. So the whole prologue scene was included because the writers realized that the audience wouldn't actually see uh, the mermaid until about 20 minutes into the film. So the intro gave the audience a great teaser and a quick backstory. But it was also the key element for the eventual love story of the movie. It's really well done. We then cut to modern-day New York City, where Alan and his brother Freddie own a wholesale fruit and vegetable business. As you can guess from the brief flashback on the boat, Alan is the responsible one, and Freddy is the same kid looking up women's skirts. Freddy recklessly pulls up in his sports car, smashing into the crates of fruit with little care in the world.
2: Who put this goddamn fruit here? I'm all right, if anyone's
3: concerned. Good morning, Freddy. Alan! Alan! Bauer, I want a simple yes or no. One more second, Mr. McCullough.
2: I'm in Penthouse Magazine. They printed my letter. They printed my letter.
3: Listen, I'm very, very happy. I'm in the forum,
2: sir. The story's entitled
3: A Lesbian No More. They printed every word I wrote.
2: It's a beautiful story. Here, I want copies of this for everybody. Augie! Hey! hey! Good to see you! Great game the other night. We got to do that more Freddie, often, you know? This guy's a great poker please. player. Cheats like a son of a bitch. Man, Freddie, you and I have to talk. What, is the missing petty cash? It's
3: the cleaning no, girl. I don't care about that. You don't? No. And it was me. I bet the whole thing. Well, I still don't care about it, Freddie.
2: I love this guy! Do you hear me? I love him! Give me a kiss.
3: Oh, Freddie. Give hey, your older brother a kiss. No, What's the matter? Are you too big? Freddy. Give
2: me your... <laughs> I love this guy's head. Hey, Curly.
3: Here's a buck. Go Watch my car. Right, car. Bower! Where are my call your cherries? Yes. Uh believe me when I tell you that you're not gonna be satisfied with what we have for you.
0: Okay, Bauer, you're ruined. Everyone's gonna know you left me dry. You're finished!
3: You're a ghost in this business. How'd you like some bananas at cost? Deal. Jerry, set up our friend Mr. McCullough, bananas at cost.
0: So the guy upset with his cherries not being available is none other than Rance Howard, Ron Howard's father. In addition to having a useless brother helping run the business, Alan also has a secretary that should have been put out to pasture.
3: Are there any messages, Mrs. Stimler? Yes. What are
2: you? Hi. Uh, oh, uh, your father
3: called. He wants you to call him back. Um, Mrs. Timwell, our father passed away about five years ago. Do you remember?
2: Right. Uh, should I get him for you?
3: No, no. We'll, uh, I'll take care of you. You, you just get back what's with her oh she had a little accident over the weekend got hit in the head by some lightning (laughs) (laughs) it's not funny Freddy. it's not funny i'm
2: sorry that's not funny that's besides she's okay she
3: can still do certain things around the office Like what, jumpstart a
2: car? (laughs) (laughs) Jumpstart a car. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: And then, to make his life even crazier, Alan's girlfriend has decided to move out of his place and break up with him. Alan and Freddie attend a friend's wedding, and even 20 years later, Freddie still tries to pull the drop change routine. It's funny seeing John Candy in this role because you sort of remember him as this lovable guy in his characters and this is one of the few roles where you still like him but he's actually a sleazeball. After the wedding, Freddy gets Alan plastered. Freddy has fun, but Alan is an embarrassing mess wallowing in his recent breakup.
2: You see, drinking is really a matter of algebraic ratios. How drunk you get is dependent on how much alcohol you consume in relation to your total body weight. You see my point? It's not that you had a lot to drink. It's just you're too skinny. Uh, uh, Marcel, a bunch more drinks here, please. No, no, Freddy, I don't want to get drunk. But you are drunk. You see, a sober person would have reached for the (sighs) pretzels.
3: Is he going to be there long? I don't
2: know. Oh, I'm on the bar. You're on the bar. Come on off the bar. Oh, this stool is in your way. Let me move that for you. Uh Uh-oh, you fell. Ooh, that hurt. Ooh, you're not having a good day, are you? Wasn't that a beautiful wedding ceremony? Oh, that was
3: a beautiful ceremony. It was. It really, it really <laughs> was. It was. It was. Gorgeous a ceremony, a lovely.
2: I okay. <laughs> 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 How are you doing? Hi. Fabulous Freddie Bauer here.
3: Where'd you get this? My grandmother's here. She did. Oh, beautiful. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you, you guys are in love, aren't you? We just met. <laughs> that doesn't matter. I know about these things. Yeah, I, I can see. I can tell you, you two guys, you're in love, and I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Thanks. Uh, listen, I don't live too far from here. Let me just go to my place. For a quiet drink. <laughs> I think a serious... Do I expect too much out of life? Hey, My dress? Oh, I can't no. believe this. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't care. Let me get it. Both of
1: you! You're both crazy! I'm sorry.
3: I don't ask that much, do I? I mean, I, know I don't ask to be famous, and I don't ask to be rich, and I don't ask to play center field for the New York Yankees or anything. I... I just want to meet a woman, I want to meet a woman, and and I want to fall in love, and I want to get married, and I want to have a kid, and I want to go see him play a tooth in the school play. It's not much, but I am kidding myself, this is never going to happen. I'm, I'm going to grow old, and I'm going to grow lonely, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be surrounded by a bunch of rotten fruit. Ready?
2: Oh, no, I'm kidding. Freddie, <laughs> <laughs> Alan, Alan, I want you to meet some friends of mine. This is Tawny and this is Jill. I'm
3: tiny. You're Tawny.
2: Tawny Tiger. And this is Jill with a four-letter word. This is my brother, Alan.
3: Hi. Ready? can I talk to you for some?
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Excuse me.
2: Excuse me. Oh, no, I'll be right back. We'll whisper some more. Well, I got some whispering for you. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. we we'll pack your
3: bags tonight, my man. We're going to Rio. These girls have got a time-sharing condominium. We're going to share some time with them. <laughs> no, no, Freddie. I'm i I'm go- I'm going to Cape Cod. What?
2: What are you talking about? Cape Cod? Why would you go to Cape Cod?
3: I don't, I don't know, because I, I like Cape Cod, Freddie. I feel better up there. I, I look out the water, and I feel closer to something. Cape major. Cod over Rio. Are you all right yeah, yeah. Let me drive you. No, no, no. Let me drive no, you up no. there. Don't, no. I'll drive.
2: No. You got enough money? Yeah, I got plenty. Yeah? Thanks.
0: Can I have some then? Alan decides to take a very expensive cab ride from New York City to Cape Cod and ends up on a beach where he runs into a crazy scientist named Walter Kornbluth, played by Eugene Levy. Again, this was definitely the first time I saw Levy in a movie, and he's awesome and hilarious in this role, though it's completely different than his good-natured characters he'd be best known for later in his career. Actually, it's sort of fascinating that both Candy and Levy play characters unlike their normal roles. As Cornbluth Levy is incredibly mean-spirited and sort of crazy, and I always cracked up that his two moron assistants kept calling him Mr. Corn Beef, which always makes him indignant. It's Cornbluth! And then Alan runs into them on the beach. Easy. Move
3: that into Excuse line. me. Morning, morning, morning. Uh. I was dropped off on the wrong side of the beach, and I was wondering if you could take me over to the island.
2: Well, uh, we're not, we're not going, we're just,
3: we're taking the boat, we're going, we're not going out there! Oh, what, uh, have you seen anyone else along this beach? No, just me and the moron twins. We're not twins.
0: Kornbluth thinks that Alan is a spy trying to infiltrate his research. We found out later that Kornbluth is trying to find mystical sea creatures for his studies like mermaids. Alan ends up hiring a useless guy to take him on the shore and on his tiny motorboat. The boat stalls and Alan is left stranded when the guy jumps overboard to get the other boat and st- you know to get him to take him to shore eventually. Alan tries to fix the boat alone and gets it to start, but the sudden jerk of the engine knocks him into the water and Alan can't swim. He eventually gets hit by the bottom of the boat and is knocked out and floats down to the bottom of the ocean. Next, we cut to Alan lying face down on the shore and we discover that a beautiful blonde woman, that is Daryl Hannah, rescued him. She kisses him and then jumps back into the water. And of course, this is the same girl and mermaid that Alan met when he was a boy in Cape Cod, but we don't find this out, of course, until later. Alan dropped his wallet after the fall to the bottom of the ocean and she found it and then takes it with her. Unfortunately, while this is happening, Cornbluth is looking for sea creatures in a scuba suit and discovers the mermaid. She swims off before he can take a photo. But now he's obsessed with finding her for his studies. The underwater shots of Daryl Hannah swimming around are pretty great. Everything is very clear and well done. Ron Howard actually wanted to hire a body double, but as it turned out, Hannah was a terrific swimmer and could gracefully swim and act for over 60 seconds underwater without having air bubbles and whatnot. Hannah had said that she'd been mimicking a mermaid ever since she was a kid, so she was just a natural swimmer underwater. So now that she has Alan's identification, she can try to find him. However, her lack of clothing when she turns into a non-mermaid causes quite a stir when she appears at the Statue of Liberty.
2: Now if you'll we'll go inside, Miss Simpkins will continue
3: the tour. Come on. Come on. Here we go. Let's go. There. Back backing up. Come here we come on. Okay, okay. You got feet, use them. Don't touch my hat. Do not ever touch my hat. That's, that's. Up, 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 up.
2: Okay. Welcome to the Statue of Liberty. The statue is a gift from French citizens and has come to symbolize hope for naked women everywhere. Bocce balls! What? Hey, 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 come on Hey, don't be doing that. Take a picture of me. Take my picture! Take my picture, got it? You get it? You get it all? You get it all. Right.
3: statue was, was a gift saved from, from French people. Now let me see what's going on. Oh, okay, Missy. This ain't California. We don't go for this stuff here. Come on. Boom, boom.
0: <laughs> bocce balls always cracked me up this is actually delivered by lowell gantz one of the writers on the film it's also a funny line this ain't california we don't go for that stuff <laughs> since you can't speak the only way the police can identify her is through alan's wallet which of course has his contact info the police call alan at his business and he rushes to pick up daryl hannah at the police station she is now clothed in only a i love new york city t-shirt Hannah is definitely a fish out of water, so everything about the new city is, of course, new to her. From the spinning door in Alan's apartment building to the crowded streets of New York. And since she really can't communicate with him, she just kisses him nonstop, which isn't a bad thing for Alan. Alan has to go back to the warehouse for his business, so he leaves Hannah alone in his apartment watching television. This, of course, leads to an amusing scene where she sees a commercial for Bloomingdale's and learns how to say that word and then asks the doorman where Bloomingdale's is. She's also dressed in Alan's suit. (laughs) The really fun part about this movie, especially as a kid, is that you can kind of sort of throw logic out the window. It's a fantasy tale, and when you're a kid, it just all works. Like, of course, she'll just find her way to Bloomingdale since a cab is called for. And she just happens to have Alan's wallet so she can pay for the cab ride. And a store clerk will just see her and have tons of outfits ready for her to try on. It's really the charming part about the film, and you really shouldn't overthink it. Though, as adults, this is what we do. But, for me, it's just way more fun if you don't overanalyze like Roger Ebert did with this particular review. Hannah is still fixated by TV and decides to watch all of the TVs on display, which is hilarious. She even does aerobics while watching. We find out that she's been in the store for six hours straight. Thankfully, the doorman tells a panic Alan where she is and he picks her up at the store, which leads to this memorable scene. One of
3: them got through, too, and they was rescued. Thank God. Excuse me, do you know this woman? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Just don't ask me what her name is. Well, we've been trying to tell her that it's closing time, but uh, she doesn't seem to understand. Yeah, well, that's because she doesn't speak any English at all.
1: Hello, Alan. How was your day?
3: Uh, Excuse me, I never went to college, but uh, wasn't that English.
1: Thank you for letting me use your television. It was very educational.
3: It's all right, miss. Uh, what's your name?
1: It's hard to say in English.
3: Well, just say in your language. All right, my name is. Hey, how about those Knicks?
0: Since her C name won't really work on land, they have to find an English name for her. And she's basically learned English from her six hours of nonstop TV viewing.
3: What uh, What are English names? Well, English, well, there's millions of them, I guess. Uh, Jennifer, Joni, Hillary, Be careful. Hey, those are hot after that. See names, names, uh, Linda, Kim, where are we? Madison, uh, Elizabeth, Madison. Samantha. Madison, I like Madison. Well, Madison's
0: not a name.
3: Well, all right, okay, fine. Madison it is. Good that we weren't at 149th Street.
0: So now Madison doesn't tell Alan that she's a mermaid, and she's like a little kid running around the streets of New York City since everything is new to her. However, we do discover Madison is only staying for six days. Alan, at this point, doesn't realize the reason why, but of course, she can only be on land for that long because she'll lose the ability to be a mermaid. She does tell Alan the whole reason she is in New York City is to be with him. So you remember the days when racquetball was all the rage? Well, this leads to an amusing scene where Alan tries to play against Freddy who lasts basically a minute while smoking and drinking beer on the side. However, it does lead Alan to open up about Madison.
2: How long have we been playing? About five minutes. Oh God. My heart's beating like a rabbit. You uh, want a beer? No, thanks. So, tell me this. If you're not in love with her, how
3: come these little things she does drive you crazy so much, huh? Little things? buddy. the woman learned how to speak English in a single afternoon. She could probably speak English already. I think she was in shock
2: from being arrested, you know?
3: Well, now, what about that, huh? What about a woman showing up naked in a
2: public place, Freddy? Well, I'm for it, of course. But you yourself said that she had some kind of, what, immigration problem? She's on an ocean liner in the middle of uh, international waters and uh, she sees America, looks good. So she greases her body up like a channel swimmer. She dives in. She uh, goes through some sharks, has some heavy trouble there, goes through the Coast Guard, through some minefields, and then, then she's on uh, shore, she's, she's okay, see? Well, what about the, the bathtub and the, this moon stuff? And what about all those TVs? Now look, I'm being serious. I've had a few minor fiascos in my own love life, and I admit that freely. Freddy, you
3: took a date to one of your own weddings.
2: I, I'm, a, I'm a free spirit. I'm extremely liberal. I'm a freewheeling dude. You know what your problem is? You're in love with this girl, and you're trying to convince yourself you're not.
3: I, I just don't know, Freddie. There's, there's something about it isn't, isn't right. I'll serve.
2: If you hold a beer, that'll be your handicap.
3: Oh, we're gonna play?
2: Yeah. I'm gonna teach you a lesson in humility.
3: All
2: right, wait. Humility 101. You all set? Yeah. All right, here we go.
0: The great part about the racquetball scene is that John Candy was hungover from the night before, and it totally works in this scene. Also, Candy really did hit himself with the racquetball in one take. There was a great scene earlier where Alan and Madison are walking in the city and see a mermaid fountain, and Alan informs her that the city is going to tear it down and make room for uh, condominiums, which leads Madison to do this.
3: Hey, wh- I got wh- you a present. What? Sure. Wait, wait, what? I got a hey, close the bar. Thanks, what? what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> look. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> ha, <laughs> <laughs> what? You, uh, what? Well, that's, that's big. Yeah, this is this is very big and it's really here it's just so big
1: they were going to tear it down so i bought it for you
3: now where did you get the money to pay for something like this madison where's your necklace I traded it for the statue why because i love you oh madison and I love uh, this uh, present. I love it. And I
0: love you. Meanwhile, Kornbluth discovers that his mermaid is now living in New York City but his associates are not impressed with his notion that a mermaid is now living on land. So he gets the bright idea to just dump water on Madison for everyone to see her as a mermaid. This of course backfires as he does it to the wrong woman and her male companion is less than thrilled that his lady is drenched and he decides to beat him up and, and you only hear the punching noises though. Then we cut to probably the most famous scene in the film, which is the restaurant where Madison eats lobster. Of course, not like everyone else, the punch from Tom Hanks is great.
3: Well, well uh, I guess we'll talk about it later. Do be careful,
1: madam. Uh, the plate is very hot. Well, thank you. These uh, look terrific.
3: She's
0: really hungry. <laughs> so according to Daryl Hannah, this was the most stressful scene for her because she had been a vegetarian since she was 11 years old. So eating lobster was not a pleasant thing for her, especially the way Madison was supposed to eat it. So what the producers decided to do was stuff the lobster with leeks, hearts of palm, and potatoes. And to this day, Hannah can't eat leeks because of this scene. Alan asks Madison to marry him at an outdoor ice skating rink. She turns him down because she knows she has to go back to the sea in three days. Alan, of course, is upset and doesn't understand why she can't marry him.
1: Your voice sounds funny.
3: Well, it's called sarcasm. What, they don't have that where you come from either? No. Well, now they don't have anything, do they? They don't have ice, and they don't have music, and they don't have clothes. Just what kind of a place is this, Madison? Madison! 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 Hey, those skates are in! Hey, look, just give
2: me one second, okay? Madison! 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 Please, I'm sorry! Let her go. Show some dignity for
0: Christ's sake. So Daryl Hannah was such a natural athlete that she had never really ice skated before. But when you watch her on the ice, she looks like she's been skating forever. Also, the guy that prevents Tom Hanks from running off with the skates is the writer, Lu Mandel. Madison decides to take the night to think about things and agrees to marry Allen. Cornbluth is still on their tail, no pun intended, and appears at a dinner where the president of the United States is attending. This is for, of course, business schmoozing for the guys. Of course, Kornbluth appears, and before Madison can tell Alan that she's a mermaid, he sprays water all over Madison, which causes her tail to appear. And much like all the old sci-fi alien plots from the past, anything different to humans is captured and tested. Not only Madison, but also Alan. Alan doesn't take the news well of Madison not being fully human. Alan is eventually released, but they keep Madison in captivity. Of course, the media circus can't get enough of this story amazingly while alan was falling in love with madison freddie was actually getting his act together and running the business even better than alan did
2: so how is she
3: how is she she's uh... she's a mermaid i don't understand all my life i've been waiting for someone and when i find her she's she's a fish nobody said love's perfect oh freddie I don't expect it to be perfect, but for God's sake, it's usually human. Every day people meet and they fall in love. Every day, and look what I got. Look what you got.
2: Yeah, let's look at what you got. Let's take a good look at what you got. People fall in love every day, huh? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah? Well, that's a crock. It doesn't work that way. Look, do you realize how happy you were with her? That is, of course, when you weren't driving yourself crazy. Every day. Come on. Some people will never be that happy. I'll never be that happy. What am I talking to you for? You don't know nothing. is Stimmler.
0: So Madison is not doing well due to the testing and, of course, losing Allen. Even Kornbluth is second-guessing capturing Madison, as it might not have been the best idea to be running tests on her. Alan decides to confront Cornbluth at the dentist's office, which is a great scene. There should have been really been more scenes with Eugene Levy.
3: You cracked your tooth. We are going to be very close to the nerve. I don't deserve any pain, Just grow. Oh, you want pain. Well, we aim to please. Get out. What are you doing here? Get there? out! Yeah, yeah. Police say! Okay. Let's talk. Hey. hey, put that down. Put that needle down. You stay away from me. Hey, I said let's talk. Come on, put it down. You stay away from me. What? Put...
2: I'm happy.
3: You destroyed my life, Corn I didn't mean to. I just had to prove to everybody that I wasn't crazy. I'm a man of science. I just didn't think about how it would affect you. Or her. I'm really a nice guy. If I had friends, you could ask them. I've been on the phone to every employee of the United States government, calling them sons of bitches. Nobody can even get in to see her.
0: I can't. Anyway, Kornbluth decides to help Alan break Madison out of the lab, and this leads to a typical 80s breakout scene, because it is necessary for the plot. Of course, this is a fairy tale, so you can kind of guess the ending, but it doesn't make the movie any less enjoyable. And if you are wondering, there's a great moment at the end where Alan realizes that Madison is the little girl that he saw when he was in the water as a boy. All right, some of the cool fun facts. Actors that were considered for the Allen role besides Tom Hanks. You have Jeff Bridges, Chevy Chase, Richard Gere, Kevin Kline, Steve Gutenberg, Dudley Moore, Michael Keaton, Bill Murray, and John Travolta. Michael Keaton was also suggested for the role of Freddie. Also, Tim Allen and John Goodman were also considered. Many, many actresses either auditioned for or were considered for the role of Madison, which, of course, went to Daryl Hannah. Let's go through them. Jodie Foster auditioned but turned it down in order to play a character in the Hotel New Hampshire from 1984. Rosanna Arquette auditioned but had to back out. Brooke Shields reportedly turned it down so she could study French literature at Princeton. Other actresses that turned down the role, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Melanie Griffith, Jeannie Francis, Lynn Frederick, Fiona Fullerton, Diane Lane, Tatum O'Neill, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sharon Stone, and Kathleen Turner. Deborah Winger actually wanted the role of Madison, but Ron Howard turned her down. Lisa Wetchel was huge due to her popularity as Blair on the Facts of Life TV show. She was also considered for the role of Madison. Tanya Roberts also auditioned, but she turned it down because she was working on Sheena from 1984. Ali Sheedy was also considered for the role of Madison. And according to the Biography Channel, Bill Murray and PJ Soles were considered for the roles of Alan and Madison, but Bill Murray turned it down. It would have been a lot like Stripes, which John Candy was in too. Splash was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Screenplay, but lost out to Places in the Heart. This is interesting. So Ariel in The Little Mermaid, of course, the the animated version, was originally blonde, but was made to look redhead to be different than Madison. The fountain from the movie is now on display at Disney's MGM Studios at Walt Disney World. The mermaid fin Daryl Hannah wore is behind the bar at Planet Hollywood in downtown Disney. Ron Howard actually turned down directing Mr. Mom and Footloose in order to make Splash. And lastly, John Candy originally wanted to play Dr. Cornbluth, but Ron Howard convinced him to play Freddy instead. Candy then recommended Eugene Levy for the Cornbluth role. Alright, so even though Ebert didn't like it, I loved it as a kid, I still love it today. And look, it broke out Tom Hanks as a comedic actor and an actor in general in film. so you can't dispute what happened from the success of this film. And so to give his insight on how he enjoyed the film as well, we have Eric Sinzak, who is always a great guest, and he shares his thoughts on the film. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Eric Sinzak. Welcome back, Eric. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to do a fun one here, and definitely one from my childhood that i watched often and that is splash uh from 1984 uh before we get into when you first saw this was this the first time you saw tom hanks
4: uh no because i had watched bosom buddies that's uh, what i was going to yep <laughs> yeah so we you know i was i liked the show and i was um, you know i guess i'd watched it you know on tv and i thought that was you know it was a funny show i just remember watching it on regular tv and then when this the movie came out uh I think we did see it in theaters. So uh, and then, of course, I watched it a 100 times on cable.
0: Yeah, this was a great one because it's actually I mean, it's it's notable for a few reasons. One, uh, it was very successful. Uh, but the other one is it's the first movie that is from Touchstone Pictures. Touchstone Pictures basically was created for this movie. So uh, they wanted to do movies that weren't strictly, you know, under that Disney aura and uh, this was a way to get a little bit more adult, you know, not crazy adult, but, um, you know, enough to where they could do something a little different without being, you know, under that, um, uh, you know, guise of a, of a Disney film.
4: Yeah, I think I remember going to see it with my folks and, you know, it was a real fun film, uh, a lot of comedy uh, and it was, you know, had a lot of heart to it. Um and yeah, I think, you know, me and my brother saw it and, you know, with my folks, and we had a lot of fun with it, especially Eugene Levy's comedic elements to it. I think that's the stuff we laughed at the most uh, it was his Dr. Cornbluth. Uh, you know, <laughs> Dr. But, Corn but, beef? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's pee down the air hose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> those all, guys are great. Yeah, those two guys that were with him. And then, yeah, just all that stuff. It, 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 I think that was probably more fun to us than the romantic side of it, of course, because being kids, we look for all the gags and stuff, but yeah, I think it's really, this movie, I think can, is going to last a long time, uh, because it's uh, very, I think it's got an elegant look to it. I think it's a very well-made movie. I think it's got a great story. Uh, and it's got comedy, it's got heart. And I think it's, uh, it's just a, you know, you can watch it. Any anybody can watch it. It doesn't lose its luster over time. It's a fun movie, and, and, and it's also very it's very warm. It's a very warm film.
0: Yeah, definitely, and 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 absolutely a precursor to the Little Mermaid, which would come out a few years later. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely which was absolutely huge. Yeah, I couldn't have thought of a better um, Madison than Daryl Hannah. I mean, this was kind of a career making role for her. Yeah, she
4: fit the role perfectly. And when she's, when she sees, you know, she's very innocent. And when she sees like somebody on TV get killed, she doesn't, she doesn't know it's not, it's TV. He's like, no, no, it's, it's just TV. This guy's going to get killed again next week by this guy. You know, it's like, you know, he's trying to explain to her when she's in New York and then like telling her, you know, when she's, you know, she's so innocent looking, about everything. And so, you know, that's, that's was so great because she had such an, a nice look to her about, you know, and, and she had model you know, she had been modeling and she'd been at other stuff. And of course she had been in blade runner and right. she had such a, uh, she's so, she was so tall, so beautiful. And I think that she fit that look for a mermaid, uh, you know, perfectly. So when, and, and of course with the long hair and everything, uh, I didn't think it would. Uh, she sold it very well, and I think she she played off the innocence of that char- type of character perfectly.
0: Oh, absolutely! And like her learning basically how to how to speak and, and speak English after a day of watching television and you know working out at Bloomingdale's or whatever wherever yeah. she was. That was great. Those are so fun. Sque- squealing and
4: busting all the TVs. That's when, right. <laughs> trying, trying to speak.
0: Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, th- was this the first movie you saw Eugene Levy in? Because obviously him and, and, of course, John Candy's in this film, too. They worked together on SCTV. Yeah, I think
4: this is the first one I saw him in. And then I later discovered SCTV when I got older and then saw him in, in that. And, of course, Armed and Dangerous and all the other stuff like that that he had done. So yeah. But, yeah, I think this was the first time I'd ever seen Eugene Levy. So.
0: So I think uh, kids who, well, maybe not kids, but uh, younger folks who only know Eugene Levy as Jim's dad in American Pie might get a kick out of this movie, seeing him, you know, younger.
4: Yeah, and he he's got such a long comedic career, and he he's such a good actor and such a good comedic actor, and he he's got uh, such, you know, you know, I, I want to say timing, and if yes. you look back at CTV that. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff, and pretty much what they did was improvisation and it was all, you know, it was all set up as skit and you know, the, those guys had to really, you know, they had to have their chops to get into doing what they're doing now. So you have to have a lot of respect for John Candy, Rick Moranis, Eugene Levy, you know, all these guys who came up through SCTV, it, yeah. to me, SCTV guys, alums are a little tougher I think they had it a little tougher than some of the Saturday Night Live guys because to do what they did, those that that work was to me a little harder than some of the stuff that Saturday Night Live did. Martin Short and all those guys had, you know, their 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 time there there was a little harder and longer. I think.
0: Oh, I agree. Yeah, it's definitely more of a kind of a working man's, you know, rise to uh, to to fame and, and stardom. You know, they definitely had to work harder, as you said. I think to get there. Uh, other characters, obviously, Tom Hanks. I mean, this, I crazy enough. This is his film debut, which uh, you know they really kind of had. They got an unknown here, and now we look back. They, you know, it's a no brainer. You get the superstar. But at the time, uh, they weren't sure because Boosom and Buddies*. Even though we remembered and liked it, it wasn't like super successful
4: yeah him and Peter Scolari Scolari excuse me yep. uh, did really well with the show I think but at the same time I don't think that they were really thinking that was a show as a hit but I think in hindsight everyone says oh yeah I remember bosom buddies uh, because now they remember Tom Hanks uh, mm-hmm. uh, and they they're like oh okay yeah it was bosom buddies but I you know I think now I think if Tom Hanks hadn't become the big star, that he is now, I think that show probably would be forgotten, you know? Oh, I agree. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody, you know, that would have been like cop rock or something, you know, people (laughs) would have, you know, it'd be like, okay, well that people would forget about it. You know, they would be like, okay, well whatever that show was, you know? Okay. But you know, it, it was a big stepping stone in his career. He got his sitcom, he did his sitcom and then he went on to films. But, um,
0: in comedies because i mean now he's yeah. known for serious acting too
4: well i mean he's got he's got another world war ii film coming out now he's got greyhound coming out and That's he's right. got you know he just he, i mean if you think about all the big stuff he's done he's a Saving private ryan he did you know philadelphia. He's, really, philadelphia he's big big invested in like historical stuff and yep. serious serious film academy work so and nobody would have ever thought of that kind of stuff coming from this kid who just then they cast in Splash. Yeah. You know and that Bachelor so,
0: Party and <laughs> Dragnet. Yeah. And,
4: yeah. Right. And just, you know, when you look at when you look at him, he's this gawky looking twenty something that I mean, you wonder if this guy could tie his shoes in the morning, you know, <laughs> probably. So but I remember seeing, you know, stand up with Sally Field. Yeah. Uh, and I thought to myself, after watching that, you know, and I was older when I saw it. Oh, I didn't see it when I was younger. I saw it probably in my 20s. And I thought, man, I know the studio execs watched this because there's a whole lot of really a strong emotional punch. And th- there's a big, there's a lot of punch in the gut emotion in this movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And I thought, this is probably what, you know, I know Splash had a lot of impact on his career, but I bet stand-up probably had an even bigger impact on his career where it really went in a, uh, a serious acting direction because there's a lot of scenes in that movie that he goes into some places where with his emotions and his emotional range that I was, I, I was not expecting for somebody his age uh, at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. When you watch it, it's, it sort of takes, it took me by surprise watching it now as, uh, you know, in, as an older, you know, and I'm 45. So, you know, sort of got a different appreciation for, you know, watching actors. So, but it's it's a neat thing to watch him as a young person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely think, and right around that time a Punchline, of course, was big. And, and talk, about amazing, yeah. Yeah, talk about amazing, yeah, talk about amazing acting. <laughs> that Tremendous.
4: I was saying the wrong name of the movie. I was saying stand-up. is punchline,
0: excuse me. I was yes. saying stand yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because cause Big, I mean, even though it's considered, you know, like a, almost like a kid's comedy, he really, I mean, to, he really, you look at his eyes, he had like that childlike look. You really thought he was like, you know, 13, 14 years old.
4: Yeah. He, he, he did, you know, he would, he would say a lot, you know, he would be, he would be able to turn those emotions on a dime. Yeah. And. And people would, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of people looking for uh, an actor, you know, for an, an, their next film or watching that movie. They were just salivating over yeah. that. Yeah. You know, they were just, oh, I got to get this guy. You <laughs> know, I'm sure that was that was just a big thing for them right then.
0: Absolutely. But going back to Splash, what are some of your favorite scenes? For Splash, I love it
4: when Candy's talking on, oh, when he's when he's on the phone and he's screaming, a grenade went off right by his head when he's like that's what he's like trying to like play off what happened with he's like yeah yeah when he's like uh when he got hit by the boat
0: yeah
4: or yeah when he when he's like uh no no he's in the fish market and he's talking and he's he's like screaming at him like something like that he says oh Uh, i can't remember what it was exactly but but he's saying oh, it was, it was something like, he was injured in the war, a grenade went off, right in his helmet. Yeah, or something like right. that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he, right.
0: he ran off to go pick up Madison, I think, and I think he still had a head wrap on because he had he had it. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. so, but yeah, Candy told, that's all Candy. It would have been interesting. I don't know if they thought about it at one point. I think I read this where, I think Candy read for the, Tom Hanks' role and as Alan, and then Hanks read as Freddie, and that would have been interesting too. Oh, I didn't know that. That, that would be weird. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just be. I mean, we know it now as that, but you could almost see Candy playing the lovable guy, uh, and, and and Tom Hanks kind of playing the the crazy guy too, especially after Bachelor Party, you know.
4: Yeah, you know that cashing it that way would be interesting. I
0: don't, yeah. I don't know. Now, now you got my head
4: spinning, man. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah,
0: we always think of Freddie as the as the crazy guy, and John Candy plays it perfectly. But. but you
4: know what? After after a movie like Summer Rental, and thinking about him like uh, yep. playing the husband and the lovable guy in that, Or Uncle Buck. Candy, Buck, Or Uncle Buck, you know, who said he couldn't do that kind of role? Of course, he That's, could do that kind of role. Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly.
4: Wow, wow, man. All right, no, mind blown. Thanks
0: a lot, Brian. <laughs> That's This is what I'm here for, so everyone can think about that. Uh,
4: yeah. What are
0: some of the other, other favorite scenes that from Splash for you? Uh,
4: of course, uh, my one of my favorite quotes, well, of course I'll quote it, is when uh, when uh, Buck Walters is leaning up against the wall and he says, left my wife in New Orleans, 48 kids and a can of beans, left, <laughs> right, one, two. And then Corn Blue comes running out and he screams, oh, my God. And then, yeah, of course, that's when they discover Madison is, you know, they're, that's when they find out that that's when they're busting Madison out. You know, right. that's a whole scene where they're getting her out of the tank and they run out of there. Uh, I like the the whole escape scene. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, it almost it,
0: felt like E.T. in a way, too, you know, where she was starting <laughs> to get sick, you know?
4: Yeah. They have to get her out because she's going to die. so Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I, rem- I just remember like you know it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I have to remember it in quotes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, he's dirty from the trip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't he a little dark? Yeah, uh, yeah. This it's got some great great scenes uh, when he's on the boat, you know, and he sees her, and then all this all these scenes are just really. The way it's shot, I think, is beautifully shot. It has a lot of dreamlike qualities to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think they used... You know, back then, of course, there was no CGI, so the special effects were all practical. Right. And I thought that they did a very good job with making it not look too, um, you know, silly or anything like that. They just made it very, you know, real enough to make it look believable. The fin looked real. You know, mm-hmm. when she's in the bathtub and she has to... She, when she was shy, quote unquote, right, and the,
0: she yeah, the tail like flops out, type of thing, yeah,
4: right. She was trying to get back in the water, you know, mm-hmm. so she didn't get, she, you know, she didn't want him to see, and she got out and dried off, and then, you know, that was that was a neat scene because she was like, she was like, you were shy, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was completely naked in the where the Statue of Liberty is <laughs> before, you right. <laughs> you're walking around the
4: Statue of Liberty naked,
0: and now you're. Shy, saw, yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty funny. I like that scene.
0: You, that's a great point about. Uh, also, the underwater scenes are really well shot. I think uh, there is such a kind of a, a a fondness of the lack of CGI from older movies that you know it, it, all these special effects, it, for lack of a better word, look more real. Like they they, they look they don't look as um, I don't know manufactured like like they do now.
4: Well, yeah, now but, you can pick out CG. And yeah. CG leaves uh, as good as you want to be with CG. I mean, except there's some, there is some CG that's out there now, and it's getting better. But CG has a definite edge to it. It's not mm-hmm. seamless as people think it is. Right. And there's a lot of rippling to CG, and you just you you can pick it out. And I hate it when CG is bad, and it it's just unbelievable. But the older films definitely. They're of an era when everyone knew that it was all done by guys or girls in suits and and people doing real work, real yeah. stunt work, you know, real uh, special effect work, so... Right, and cre-
0: and yeah. creating those characters like like the original King Kong from 1933, how they created that actual, um, you know, the the puppet you know for of King Kong. I mean, that was all man-made, which is which is you know, uh, you yeah. have to have your little nuance to do that, like a real talent. I mean, there, obviously there's a talent in CGI, but it's just different. It's it's a little bit more sterile.
4: Yeah, and. And I'm not taking away – I'm not trying to take anything away from CG artists. It takes a lot of work to do that, and it takes a lot of a lot of discipline to to get to where you're blending real-world uh, photography with, uh, with computer-generated sure. graphics. And I, I don't like to do – I don't want to knock them at all. Because no, no, the, no, absolutely it's, not. It's yeah. hard work. Yeah. Oh, but, no, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, uh, – I, I rely on them because uh, yeah, I'm not trying to get you in trouble right? <laughs> you know, uh, to any of my, to any of my CG artists that are listening right now, uh, <laughs> trust me, uh, please make my green screen stuff look good.
0: No. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm uh, an old Fuddy daddy. So that's, I'm just, you know, this damn good movie memories for reasons. So yeah, it's okay. Don't put both the clown in my Starfield, please. Um, <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's, I think that, uh, the older stuff does have some a uh, sweetness to it because I think, you know, when you see it it, it, it just looks neat. I mean, you know that there's a lot of hand painting that goes on in backgrounds and especially sure. like, you know, matte paintings. And, uh, and it's like for this for splash for the underwater sequences. I know that there was a lot of diving and, uh, practical divers on set using oxygen tanks and things like right. that. And the, and the divers that were there were doing a, long work and long days, uh, and it's very difficult work to do. Any, yeah. anytime you're doing water work, those guys are, are getting, not getting paid enough and I don't care how much they pay them. They're not getting paid enough. Sure. Um, you know, and like I was, I know like when Cameron shot the abyss, I watched the, you know, the documentary on the abyss and I've read some books about how they shot that and holy shit, I can't believe anyone lived through that shoot. Right. Um, that was slavery is what he did to those people. I know. Um, But anyway, this is like the same thing. It's like I I hope to God that uh, however they did the underwater sequences on this, they had a better day than that.
0: Well, you bring up a great point because Daryl Hannah had said that it was very uncomfortable because she was in that suit, you know, for hours. And she couldn't do anything like because it wasn't like, you know, take it on and off. I mean, she was in that thing like all day when she and she was really swimming with that thing on. So she was like a real mermaid.
4: Yeah, I think it was pretty grueling for her. But, um, I mean, she's a, she's a professional and yeah, she,
3: absolutely.
4: she works hard for what she does. And I think she worked, uh, she knew that there was, you know, shots that had to be done. So, you know, anybody who's in the field will know that, uh, there's a saying I have when I'm doing what I do and I, you bite down and you do it. And mm-hmm. I, it's the same thing. I tell my kids when they have to do something and they don't want to do it. I say you bite down, you do it, but yep. it's and it's just something that I think actors do and people who anybody who's you know dedicated to something that they do and I think she did and she and it's really and it's not easy but you have two choices you can either go ahead and get through it or you just walk away but she wasn't about to do that she knew the movie was important
0: mm-hmm.
4: so and that's and- something I, I respect uh, people who can do get through that kind of work
0: that's right. Especially in, in film or, or music, because if you get it right, it lives on forever. So you, you yeah. really want to get it, get it right for there. As always, thank you so much, Eric. This has been a great discussion. Oh, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues because, after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat because even when you lose, you still win.
2: there ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>